from the Heritage Foundation, I'm Tim Descher, and this is Heritage Explains. I was raised at a church that played rock and roll music. Yes, we studied scripture. Yes, we took part in the same traditions as most other churches. But when it came to making a joyful noise to the Lord, we took that very seriously. Musical worship is a huge part of the Christian church. Heck, it's a huge part of most faiths. It always has been. And then, COVID happened. Kentucky State Police troopers cited license plates and left notices on every car's windshield while the owners inside congregating. Celebrating Easter at Maryville Baptist Church. The notices say those inside need to quarantine for 14 days. This comes as Governor Andy Bashir asked churches to close the doors on Easter Sunday so there wouldn't be any in-person gatherings preventing the possible spread of the coronavirus. President Trump is ordering all churches and places of worship to open this Memorial Day weekend, calling them a necessary part of society. But that order will have little effect here in Illinois, where churches have been closed under the governor's stay-at-home order. Fox 32's Dane Placco reports both the governor and mayor say it is still their call, not the president's. Church choirs silenced. Singing has been banned at all church services in California. The extraordinary order from Governor Gavin Newsom comes as a new report labels churches super spreaders. But they weren't the only ones sour on people attending church. In fact, according to Pew Research Center, 10 states banned in-person church gatherings altogether and an additional 25 have placed limits on churches at some point during the pandemic. Only in America. Wait, that's not right. I thought one of the main reasons the U.S. even exists is to protect the people against government infringing on their right to worship freely, even during a pandemic. Isn't that why we have the First Amendment? The good thing? Many faith leaders and their congregations are not staying silent. In fact, some are getting louder. Enter Sean Foyt. Thousands of California Christians protesting Governor Gavin Newsom after he banned singing in church and put other restrictions on indoor venues this past Sunday and Monday. Over 5,000 Californians attended Let Us Worship protests on the beach. This long-haired, hippie-looking rocker, as he's been called in the press, decided enough is enough and started a movement that, as of this recording, has so far visited 45 cities around America, allowing tens of thousands of people to say, let us worship. By setting up outdoors and giving plenty of space, they are calling on the church to become more active in our political system speaking out against religious persecution through lockdowns, censorship, as well as ending abortion. They're encouraging Christians to get involved in their communities more, 
even run for office. What we're experiencing across America is, especially with the churches being closed and, you know, these godless politicians that are taking aim at the church, you know, people are rising up. I attended Foyt's most recent event in D.C. where anywhere from 15 to 25,000 people, mostly young people, turned up in the cold rain to freely exercise their religious convictions. I didn't see anger. I didn't see spite. I saw smiles. I saw singing. I saw joy. And I saw families praying together for our nation. Life was being lived with incredible purpose. And the challenging circumstances we have all faced this year turned into praise. And we just believe that as we lift him up, things will change. I just feel like we just need to take that place of despair and we gotta turn it into praise. We gotta take that place of disappointment, that place of struggle, that place that has tried to get us to move, to leave, to be silent, to be quiet, to back down, and we just gotta turn it into worship. On this unique episode of Heritage Explains, Sean Foyt talks about starting a praise movement out of protest of government policy. The pushback, the success, and the future. We'll jump right in right after this short break. If you're tired of high taxes, fewer healthcare choices, and bigger and bigger government, it's time to partner with the most impactful conservative organization in America. We're the Heritage Foundation, and we're committed to solving the issues America faces. Together, we'll fight back against the rising tide of homegrown socialism, and we'll fight for conservative solutions that are making families more free and more prosperous. But we can't do it without you. Please join us at heritage.org. Let us worship. Sean, that's that's a command. That's that's a that's a demand. Um why are you demanding this? Just start from the beginning. Well, I think that you know what we're doing and and what we want to see happen across our nation is really what the church has been doing for 2000 years. So, through pandemic persecution, um, closures, uh, civil unrest, you know, this is, it's, it's not, it's not anything new. It's just staying consistent with church history, with revival history. And I think with the word of God. So this is a church or is this a grassroots movement? Is it what, what, how, how would you define this or can you not define it? Um, I would say it's, I mean, it's the church gathering together, yeah. you know, whenever we gather. But I would say it's very grassroots, organic, viral. Um, there's people from a lot of different denominations and backgrounds and ethnicities and, and um, probably even doctrinal differences. But the thing that unites us together is that we, we love God. We want to worship. We believe that prayer and worship changes things. And we know that our nation is in crisis. Yeah. And so I think that uh, un under that banner, under the banner of Jesus, we're able to kind of throw down all the other things that have div 
divided us. Yeah, when I, I was watching at the massive event um, this past Sunday, and when I looked out, and, you know, there's, there's, a dis, there, there's definitely a disconnect between headlines and people. And when I looked out at this event on Sunday, I saw, I saw smiles, mm-hmm. I saw laughter, I saw prayers, I saw fathers hoisting their kids on their shoulders yeah. as they raised their arms in worship, their children raised their arms in worship. I saw uh, hope. I saw life being lived. Mm-hmm. That, that was what came to my mind when I said, this is, this is the way life should be lived. And then I read headlines mm-hmm. from the event. And um, one of them said, feds let 15,000 worship on National Mall. Masks be damned. <laughs> the feds let. Yeah. Um, hippie religious COVID skepticism. Super spreader tour. Anti-lockdown pastor. Obviously, that's you. And then this one, which I don't even get. They said, plague rat. (laughs) I don't understand, Sean, how you can have such incredible uh, incredible discrepancy between what actually was there and these headlines. Yeah. Well, they're trying to spin the narrative, you know, however they want. They don't. But what's interesting is most, um, most of the, a lot of the people that are reporting with those negative headlines, they A, don't come, or B, don't even actually interview people that do come. <laughs> what happens if they interview people that come, then it kind of wrecks their narrative because they are happy. They are filled with hope. They aren't f- fearful of a virus that has a 99.9999%, you know. Um, or ta- you know, rate yeah, of surviving. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the, you know, it's it's a different story, and they they're pushing a story of fear, they're pushing a story of paranoia, and a story of division, and you just don't find those things yeah. at our gatherings. I mean, this was for, this was your forty fifth city. Mm-hmm. You have walked into Seattle. You have yeah. walked into Portland. Actually, you didn't walk in. You kind of busted your way yeah. in. Mm-hmm. Have have they have the crowds been similar in every single city? Um, you know, it's, it's, it's usually the, the more resistance that we have in the, the, the cities where it seems like they've been plagued with unrest and violence and rioting and whatever, a lot of times those cities are the most fiery, huh. you know, they're the most responsive, they're the most desperate. Um, and you know the great. I you know I have a saying: the greater the resistance, the greater the breakthrough. So huh. that's what we've seen in Chicago and Seattle, Portland, Kenosha, Wisconsin, places wow. like that. So tell me about this just a little bit. Um, obviously, we talked about the pushback in the media. How has how has your interaction been, or if you've had interaction with local government officials? Have have you know they showed up to say please leave? Have mm-hmm. Have you talked with them beforehand? How how has that been? It's varied city to city. I mean, there's some places like Bakersfield, California. We had the mayor of the city open the whole worship time. Wow. We're going to be in Las Vegas this Saturday, and the mayor of Vegas offered us the courthouse steps. Huh. Um, but then you have places that, uh, you know, they'll come out against you like 
Mayor Lightfoot in Chicago specifically sent police to barricade us and tell us not to do this. Um, you have you have mayors that are vehemently against it. Um, and a lot of times I'll just call hypocrisy on them, you know, because they didn't do the same thing when BLM marched in the streets and, and they had rioting and they weren't concerned. I mean, the funny thing even about the media and or the mayors is, I mean, they had a massive women's march here in D.C., yeah. you know, a couple of weeks ago. Um, no, no nothing about how many, you know, few masks were worn and socially distanced. Those people didn't wear masks and they weren't socially distant. And, you know, I live in California right now where the hypocrisy is just, it's outrageous. And, and people see it. They hmm. recognize it. And, um, you know, the, the governor of my state uh, encourages people in their rage to protest and destroy the cities and, you know, doesn't do anything when they come in, handicaps the police, but then wants to target churches. You know, so those those are the things that we have to really call out and and we have to uh, we have to remind them, you know, and we've made several statements in, in, a, in a bunch of those cities. I saw people thanking police. Yeah. At the at, here in D.C. Yeah. It was beautiful. Um, welcoming them in as yeah. as a part of the event, as a part of the fabric that makes America what it is. Yeah. Free speech, law and order. Mm hmm. Yeah, we have um, we have a great reputation with the police uh, at our events, you know, and usually if they're coming to shut us down, it's not their desire. They're just following orders. Yeah. Um, but, you know, we we've we've had a great I mean, we have a whole uh, thing that we normally do at a lot of the gatherings of just reconciliation, you mm. know, where we'll have our. African-American leaders and the police stand together and, and they'll pray over each other. And it's it's pretty powerful. So, you know, um, I think it's a welcoming sight. You know, I remember when we were in uh, we were in Milwaukee and um, we were setting up in the park and these police came and they said, you know, you don't have a permit for here. And we said, well, I don't think we need a permit because technically we're just going to do a protest. And they're like, all right, then you don't need a permit. Then they're like, man, this is the first time in in months that we haven't had <laughs> folks like you throwing stuff at us. And, <laughs> and I mean, they were just so pumped. They ended up staying for the whole thing. You came out on fire, anti-abortion, mm. pro the abolition of Roe v. Wade, the overturning of Roe v. Wade, um, spoke in favor of um, now Associate Justice Amy Coney Barrett, mm -hmm. just confirmed, and you had, you know, Senator Josh Hawley on stage talking. I, I, you, can, you can respond however you want here, but I, I'm curious to see how you see the church interact in a, in a very political world, what that role actually is. Yeah. Well, you know, I think that uh, we, we're, we're called to be salt and light, and we're called, we're called to— uh, go into every part. I mean, the Great Commission is Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. You know, it's, it's, but it's also every part of society. But what is salt and light? What is that? I mean, put that in context. I mean, me. bringing, bringing light, bringing light to every sphere of society, you know, every layer, every fabric. And I think that what happened, what, what's happened with government is there's been an abdication of, 
of believers because they thought, oh, it's too dark. Politics is dark. Well, yeah, exactly. That's why we're called to go in there. Yeah. You know, and when the church abdicates realms of society and doesn't actually engage in them with leadership and with, you know, uh, people that are filled with the spirit of God that can go into those just like a, you know, billionaire businessman would or a professional athlete that loves the Lord that, mm. you know, it seems like we're the church is very good, is getting very good or getting better celebrating those different facets. You know, an actor gives his life to the Lord and, you know, mm. we cheer it on or a football player throws a touchdown and prays. We love it. Mm. A businessman makes a billion dollars and he loves the Lord and help, has helps people around the world. But the moment believer enters politics, it gets really wonky, and the church doesn't really know how to support that. So anyway, all that to say, we're trying to model the engagement of the church with politics, mm. um, and, and, and while at the same time lifting up the name of Jesus, I mean, he's the ultimate, you know, the government is upon his shoulders, Yeah, but we have to engage uh, we have to engage that realm of society. Yeah, we just you, haven't done a great job. Yeah, and you put your money where your mouth is when you ran for Congress in Northern <laughs> California as a conservative Republican. Yeah. What? <laughs> I'm not laughing at you. I mean, I'm just I'm just floored by the faith. Yeah. <laughs> that you have that you would run a campaign like that. Yeah. From what from what I could see, I wasn't yeah. there. I didn't I didn't come you know campaign or anything, but. But I did through reading the headlines. You know, worship pastor runs right, right, right. <laughs> you know, it was bold. Yeah, I mean, it was definitely a call of the Lord, and I mean, you you have to have that to enter that realm, especially you know, running in a district between Sacramento and San Francisco. That's you know been known to be blue, predominantly blue for a while, but yes. Um, you have to be called. And I, you know, I, uh, it was such a crazy season, you know, going into that. It was like, felt like fish out of water. Cause all I've been doing really in my life is just been a missionary, yeah. you know, and a musician. And, but I learned a lot. I think that even after losing in the primary, it just felt like such a, a failure because, you know, um, I never was assured when I even prayed to do it, that I was going to win. And I wasn't really even running. Of course, I'm a, com I'm, you know, a competitive person. <laughs> yeah, I want to win. I mean, that's why. But yeah. but I, it was more about obedience to me. Like, this is what I'm calling you to do. And, and, you know, even just a peek behind the veil of that world in California. I mean, it's just disastrous. And mm. so it really uh, gave me a lot of sobriety about where we're going as a nation where, you know, so the, the statement is, is so goes California, so goes the nation. Mm -hmm. So, and you can see Boy, that. Boy, that's potentially scary from a conservative policy perspective. Very scary, <laughs> yeah. you know, very yeah. scary. And, and there's so many good people yeah, in our state. Sure. You referred on Sunday and a few other places to Roe v. Wade as a death decree. What do you think this Amy Coney Barrett nomination, now confirmation, potentially means for um, for our society, but also how the church should come alongside um, the Roe v. Wade overturning? Yeah, I mean, obviously we, we've, we're we so stoked about this and feel like it's an answer to prayer and feel like 
the timing of it is just so crazy being that, you know, it happened the day after we were here. And that's been a big part of my message. Uh, it's a big part of why I ran. I mean, I would have run, I would have run just on that issue. That's the hill that I would die on. And that's, you know, the Republicans in California were telling me to be quiet, you know, and we don't talk about that much here. Hmm. And I'm like, that's my message, you wow. know? And so, um, it is wild, though, to think that, you know, Republican presidents have nominated, I think, the last 15 of the of the, of the last 19 uh, justices to the Supreme Court. So 15 wow. of 19, and it's taken this long to get a conservative majority yeah. to put to to hopefully overturn. We hope. Thing. Yeah, we hope. And <laughs> and so it's just like, finally, I feel like we're at a place where where all of this legislation where we can get some traction. So I feel like ex extremely excited. And I believe that, you know, the church has to rise up and bring healing and wholeness and to, to people that have had abortions, break off the shame. Um, and then also we need to launch an adoption movement, yeah. you know, where we can see those children adopted. Hmm. It's like um, I have some friends that, that, you know, a lot of my friends, they were born in those years, you know, 70, 73 to, you know, 77, 78, those first years when Roe v. Wade was in a place. And they have a sense, and, and I, I guess even I do have a sense, you know, that there's so many people missing. Wow. You know, I mean, you think like just the, that thought of people missing, that thought of the scientists, the 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 astronauts, the leaders in tech, the, all these people that had a destiny and a dream over their life are not not here, and right. we are suffering the consequences of that. Um, the death decree, not just on a spiritual level, but economically, and I mean, and there, there's so many different things, you know, like uh, 65, 67 million babies aborted and we really have to wake up to that reality brazen be a voice not an echo that's your new book mm -hmm. and it's a and i'm looking at it right now on amazon it's a bestseller congratulations yeah, thank and you. It, was, it was just released yeah tell me a little bit about brazen well the cover i'll start with that the cover is kind of fun because it's um it's actually on the it's in um iraq next to mosul Wow. And uh, I, we took we we were taking some pictures and this before I was planning to write write this book, but we were there uh, with our missions team. We have a long term team over there, and that was one of the that was a bus that ISIS blew up, and so I stood in the center of it. And um, wow, it's kind of I mean it's kind of indicative, I guess, a little bit of you know I, I I'm telling people it's kind of the prophetic precursor to the season that we're in right now. It gives a lot of history of. My life, uh, a lot of the, it's not a life highlight book at all. It's probably maybe a life low light book. I don't know. You could say just the struggles. Starts out, the first chapter starts out with uh, Super Tuesday losing oh. the election and just dumbfounded at what the heck did I just do to my life, hmm. you know? Um, and even the end of the book, you know, I go through I go through our story and all the things God's done in our life and in my marriage and my family and go through... Um, just all the vulnerable places of trusting the Lord. But then even at the end, it's like finishing it in quarantine and like just lost the election. Like, God, I don't know what you have next, but 
we're starting to go for it. You know, I talk about the bridge, the San Francisco bridge, where we first kind of started this whole let us yeah. worship thing and said, and then we went down to Huntington Beach and a thousand came and we, you know, and we're so excited. We don't know where this is going to lead, but we're just going to trust them, you know. And really my encouragement, I think, in the whole book is just the road of, a, of being a voice can be lonely and it can be filled with uh, a lot of challenges, but it's, it's our only choice right now. I'm going to link to a lot of different videos, folks, so log on into the show notes and check out what Sean has been doing around this nation. 45 cities, it's going to keep going um, and uh, until the work is done, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> Which or is, people, or until people stop coming. Until people I don't stop know. Coming. Well, I told my staff, I'm like, I wonder if we're going to go to a city and people, there's just no one there, but it just keeps growing. So <laughs> we'll roll with it. It was big. Yeah, <laughs> it was big on Sunday for sure. And and Sean, I want to thank you for your time. I know you're exhausted, and uh, and but but it, but it, it's so valuable. And and our listeners and our our membership base are really going to be um, gratified by hearing the story. Oh, such an honor! Thanks for giving me some time. Thank you so much for being a loyal listener to Heritage Explains. I've linked to Sean's new book, Brazen, in the show notes, as well as some other cool videos from the Lettuce Worship movement. So get clicking. We love likes, thumbs ups, positive ratings, positive vibes, and comments alike. Thank you so much for continuing to support us. We'll see you next week. Heritage Explains is brought to you by more than half a million members of the Heritage Foundation. It is produced by Michelle Cordero and Tim Descher, with editing by John